So we, uh, we had passes for a while, and then our kids got a little bit older. But while they were in preschool, um, all three of our kids, I have three, ages eight, six, and four. I had to think through that all of a sudden. <laughs> three kids, all under the age of eight. And I'm telling you, we took them to the aquarium a couple years ago because they absolutely love animals. In fact, if you were to sit down and have a relatively long conversation with my kids, you would recognize that they might come across a little bit as know-it-alls. And maybe rightfully so. I have no idea who they got it from. It most certainly wasn't me. But they love animals and they know a ton about animals. In fact, they watch the show and have watched it, my goodness, for years, the show Wild Kratts. So they learn a bunch of stuff about animals, and then they come to, to Becky, my wife and I, and they, they start out a sentence, and they say, did you know? And if it has anything to do with animals, my response is always like, I had no idea, because I truly had no idea. They loved animals so much for, I think it was a birthday present. My mom got them the Ranger Rick magazines. So now they're reading about all these animals and plants and fish, and so they got all of this, what I would call useless knowledge, <laughs> in their heads about animals, and they absolutely love it. So we thought it would make sense to take our kids to the aquarium. And even though they know just about everything there's to know about animals, and they let us know how much they know about animals, I'm telling you, it was incredible. When we walked into the aquarium and we started going to the different exhibits, this is what they looked like for the entire day. From the moment we got there till the moment we left, it was just Eyes glued everywhere, looking at everything, and just jaws open. Just in awe, just in amazement of what they were seeing. Most of these animals and fish for the very first time in their entire lives. They would come over and grab me, and they say, Dad, 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 look over here. And then they'd go and grab Becky and say, Oh, come over and look at this. I mean, we were run ragged every single time. Like that wasn't just the first, like that was probably the 10th time that we had even been at the aquarium. And they're still, this is incredible. And it reminded me of a pretty important fact in our own lives. Like we experience this too, that there's a very big difference between knowing about something and experiencing it for yourself. Like they know a lot, a lot about animals and fish, but then they got to see it for themselves and their jaw hit the floor. They've read about it before and knew a lot of the statistics about their habitats. Oh, but then seeing these animals live and move, they couldn't get their eyes off of it. You might be here today and you might know of Jesus. You might have heard the Easter story. You might have even heard, you might have even heard people talk about their life change story and how Jesus has changed their life. But if I can lean in, I don't want you to just know it. I don't want you to just know about it. I don't want you to just hear about it. I want you to experience that kind of change in your own life. Where it's not just a story you read about. It's not just a service you attended. But no, like Jesus is moving in your own life and it's, it's inviting him in to do that. Jesus, I don't just want to know about you. I want you to move in my life. I want, to, I want you to change my life now and for all of eternity. Because the resurrection just isn't something that happened. It did. That is the very foundation of our faith. I mean, not just our church and not just online, but we are gathering around the world today, celebrating that foundational fact of our faith that Jesus is alive, that he died for our sins and three days later rose again. That's what we need to know and believe, oh, but know that 
he's still moving. He is alive and he is still changing our lives. And because he is alive, because he lives, anything is possible. If not even death and sin can hold him down, then we have hope that no matter what we face and walk through in this life, because he lives, anything is possible. We're going to be looking at an account that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If not, we'll put them on the screen. Let me give you a little context. So the author of what we're about to read is Paul. We'll talk about him a little bit later. But Paul was writing and he wrote a lot of letters to early churches. This letter was written about 20 years after Jesus' resurrection. So he writes to this early church, the church of Corinth. This is his first letter, which is why it's 1 Corinthians. He wrote a second letter later called 2 Corinthians. So he's writing to this early church, and he wants to give them a couple reminders. The first one we're going to see is, I want you to know that Jesus is alive. I want you to know that. I want you to hear that from me. I want you to understand it. But he doesn't end there. He actually takes it a step further, but let's start with that first part. Here's the first thing that he says. 1 Corinthians 15, in regards to the resurrection of Jesus, he says this, verse 3, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. So here's what's most important. This is what you might have heard called the good news or the gospel. Here it is. Christ died for our sins, just as scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as scripture said. Now, a couple things to point out here. First of all, he's just making sure that his audience, the church of Corinth, but also we can, we can learn from this too. He wants to make sure we know the truth, that Jesus is alive. He died for our sins, and he came back to life on the third day. He wants you to know that. He also, he mentions it twice, actually. He says, just as the scripture said. In other words, they called it. Right? God, the prophets, Jesus himself said, here's what needs to happen, and here's what's going to happen. So he's reminding them of not just what happened, but the story that had been building to that moment for Jesus to die for our sins on the cross and come back to life three days later, just as scripture said. Now, he could have ended there. Like, that is the good news. That's what we celebrate. That's what we hold on to. That's what gives us hope. So that's true. But Paul continues See, it's not just, hey, I want you to know something. He's like, no, I want you to experience something. And I want you to see how the resurrection is personal and how it impacts you and you and you. And we go through this entire room and everyone online that it impacts us today as well. So he adds this next part. So he says, here's what you need to know, but here's how I want you to make it personal. Verse 5. Paul writes, says, he, talking about Jesus, Jesus was seen by, and he's going to give a list. Pay attention to the specific individuals that Paul points out. There's going to be specific individuals and then groups of people. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Keep in mind, that's talking about context of the Corinthian church, not saying they're still alive today as we read this. I hope that was clear. If not, we can talk later. <laughs> Timelines are important through Scripture. Verse 7 then he was seen by James, that is James his, technically you call him his half-brother, like his brother. He says, then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Verse 9, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, Paul talks about himself. He says, I also saw him, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But look at the change that Paul experienced. Verse 10, 
But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me, and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God who was making and working through me by his grace. Did you catch all the different individuals? There was groups. You had the 500. You had this group of followers. But you had some very specific people mentioned by Paul that I think is pretty important. Again, it's not just, hey, I want you to know what Jesus did for you and that he's alive. It's, yes, that's true. We celebrate that. We hold on to that. It's the foundation of our faith. But it should also be personal as well to see what changes in our life because he is alive. So let's go through those. I think we're going to learn a lot. and I think you're going to relate to at least one, if not more of these. Let's start with Peter. Paul points out that Jesus, after his death and his resurrection, he actually was seen physically with Peter's own eyes. Jesus revealed himself to Peter. Now, if you know anything about Peter, if you study the Gospels, you'll know that Peter was a disciple of Jesus, followed Jesus, was a fisherman that then became a Christ follower and went around and actually has done some great things for the church. But at this moment, or the moment of the crucifixion and resurrection, Peter had actually done something that caused him to live in a life of regret. When Jesus was betrayed and then arrested and then was on trial, Peter did something three times. Do you remember what it was? If you know the story, he denied. That's right. He denied Jesus three times. Now, earlier on, Jesus called it. He has a way of doing that, doesn't he? Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me. In fact, you're going to deny me three times before this is all said and done. And Peter says, there's no way. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. I've seen you do miracles. I believe you. I follow you. I'd give my life for you. Jesus is like, okay, don't argue with the Son of God, but we'll see how it turns out. <laughs> so Jesus is arrested. He is he's own, undergoing his trial. And out in the courtyard, somebody comes up to Peter and says, hey, I think I recognize you. Aren't you one of his followers? And Peter says, no, 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 that wasn't me. You've got me, you've got me confused with somebody else. A second person comes and sees Peter and says, oh, no, I, I am positive I've seen you with Jesus, the one that's that's in trial right now. It's like, you're together, aren't you? And Peter says, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never seen that man in my life. A third time, somebody comes up to Peter and says, no, I'm positive. I know I've seen you. You're with the one that they call Jesus. And this time, Peter cursed at them and said, no, I've never seen him. I have nothing to do with him. Leave me alone. And at that moment, he realized what he had just done three times, like Jesus said, that he denied Jesus. Peter went away full of regret. And he had been living in this life of regret until Jesus came back to life. When Jesus came back, he actually not just showed himself to Peter, he actually forgave Peter three times. You can read that story where Jesus came back and said, no, nah, I know how this went down, but let me tell you how it's going to go from here on out. So for Peter went from living in a life of regret to being forgiven. And then Jesus sent him off to start the early church. The one that denied Jesus now started the church and became a major leader in the early church. So because he lives, regret changes to forgiveness. Peter no longer had to live a life of regret. He lived in the grip of God's grace and was able to share his own story of life change because Jesus is alive. Look at the next group of people. You had Peter, and then it points out the 12, talking about the 12 disciples, specifically the disciples. Now, if you know anything about the disciples, they're an interesting group of people. 
Like they are rough around the edges. They come from all kinds of backgrounds and lifestyles. Like it was just an odd group of men. And they didn't really understand fully. They didn't totally get it. There was a lot of infighting. They were a little confused. But at the end of Jesus' physical life here on earth, they also became very afraid. In fact, like Peter, when Judas betrayed him and then they were arrested, the Roman guards showed up and arrested Jesus. Scripture tells us that every single one of the 12 ran away in fear. They all deserted Jesus. In fact, many of them, even up until his crucifixion and after his death, when they buried him in the tomb, many of the disciples were hiding behind closed doors, locked doors, afraid of what might happen to them, afraid they might be next, afraid the, the religious leaders would find out that they were part of this too and where they were. So they were living in fear, but then Jesus came back to life. And when Jesus came back to life, he actually had a very specific message for the 12. You can read that in Matthew 28 where Jesus comes to the disciples and he says, no, I have a mission for you. I have a new purpose for you. We know that as the great commission where he looked at his disciples and says, no longer will you live in fear and said, I'm going to give you authority. I'm going to tell you to go and make disciples and baptize people and tell everyone you've ever met and many that won't even listen to you. Tell them about me and spread what we call the good news. And they did. They did just that. They went and shared Jesus throughout the entire known world. Because he lives, fear changed to courage because they boldly and courageously pro proclaimed the name of Jesus. But it happened after the resurrection of Jesus. So Peter went from regret to forgiveness. The disciples went from fear to courage. Then we read about James in verse 7, that he was seen by James. Again, this is James, Jesus' half-brother. Now, you have to just think of this dynamic. And let me just say, if you're somebody in the room or watching online that you're still a little skeptical of the Jesus thing, the resurrection, Christianity as a whole, in my personal opinion, James is one of the best reasons to consider the resurrection true, historically speaking. Here's why I say that. Any of you have older siblings, like an older, older sibling? What if that older sibling came to you and said, you know what, I forgot to mention this earlier, I'm actually the son of God. Now, many of you are thinking, they actually think that. Yes, it's called the firstborn syndrome. <laughs> we all think, yes, yes, you think you're the greatest thing that the world has ever been given. Now, that was true for Jesus. So could you imagine being raised in the same house as Jesus? Do it more like Jesus. Why can't you be more like Jesus? Why can't you get good grades like your older brother Jesus? That was James's life growing up. So now Jesus is proclaiming to be the Son of God, the Messiah, the one that everybody has been waiting for. James and the rest of his brothers do not believe him. In fact, John chapter 7 tells us that. Jesus is starting his ministry, proclaiming who he is. Verse 5 out of, Jan, or out of John chapter 7. For even his brothers didn't believe him. Understandably, that the brothers would not believe that Jesus is who he was proclaiming to be. And then Jesus came back to life. And then Jesus showed himself to his brother James. And he not only believed, James became a major leader in the early church. James, is, he's the one that wrote what we call the book of James <laughs> that we have in Scripture, where he not only proclaims Jesus as Lord and King, but helps us understand how to live out a Christian life in following Jesus in faith. The half-brother of Jesus, 
went from doubting and not believing, but because of the resurrection, had faith. The same can be true for us. If you find yourself in a place of doubting and I'm not sure I believe and I don't know how to make sense of all of this, because of the resurrection, because he lives, doubt changes to faith. Paul's the last one that he mentions by name. He says, even I, I also saw him. And we learn in this section, but also throughout scripture, we learn quite a bit about Paul. If you don't know, Paul was, and he says it here, he was a a religious leader, a Pharisee, and he made it his own personal mission to stamp out Christianity in the church. He made it his goal in life to hunt down, literally hunt down. He would travel and hunt down Christ's followers, and he would either, either imprison them or kill them. That was the mission that he had given himself. And then Jesus came back to life and appeared to him on the, road of, on the road to Damascus. You can read about that story in the book of Acts. And Jesus calls him, says, I've got something different for you. And Paul's life was radically changed because Jesus is alive. In fact, he went from a, a persecutor, one who was hunting down Christians, to one that was preaching the good news of Jesus. And then he went from preaching the good news of Jesus to then actually planting churches And then he went on to be one of the most influential Christians in history, continuing to point people to Jesus, the one that he originally was not just denying, but he was out to destroy. All because Jesus is alive. And because he lives, hate can be changed to love. The decision to hate can be changed to love because he is alive. See, it becomes much more personal when you read that second portion. Yes, we know the truth that Jesus died for our sins, three days later came back to life, but he is still changing our lives today, that the resurrection that happened many years ago is still impacting our lives today, that our lives can be changed like Peter to go from regret to then forgiveness, that our lives can be changed like the disciples to go from fear to now courage, that our lives... Oh, so much like James can go from doubt and not believing to believing and being full of faith. And even, yes, like Paul, even if we don't have a story as as hideous as Paul, oh, we have stories of hate in our life and bitterness and anger. They can be changed to love all because of the resurrection. All of those changes took place after Jesus came back to life. Because he lives, anything is possible. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's great for them, Peter and the disciples, James and Paul. They actually saw Jesus with their own eyes. Well, I've never seen Jesus with my own eyes, so how is that going to help me? I've never physically seen him. He's never audibly spoke to me, maybe. So, So how am I supposed to have that kind of life change? How do I know that that's true? That's such a good question. I'm so glad you asked. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. You ready for this one? The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. Did you catch that? The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that conquered death, lives in you. Not just Peter, not just Paul, not just the disciples, not just his brother James, but lives in you and me. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. 
the resurrection of Jesus changes our lives because that same spirit lives in you and me. And it allows us to go through this life being able to face today and tomorrow and our past. Because he lives, I can, and we have this great opportunity now because he is alive to like fill in the blank there, right? Because he lives, I can what? Things you could not do on your own, things you, you didn't think you could do on your own, things that you feel like are holding you back, things that you couldn't imagine facing in this world. But because he lives in the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is living in you, now I can what? What does that need to be for you? Because he lives, I can live a life of forgiveness instead of regret. Because he lives, I can have courage instead of fear. Because he lives, I can have faith and believe even in the midst of my doubts. Because he lives, I can choose love. Because he lives, I can kick the addiction. I can start going to CR and 12-step studies. Because he lives, I can forgive. Because he lives, I can ask to be forgiven. Because he lives, I can raise my kids as a single parent. Because he lives, I can fight for my marriage. Because he lives, and we get to fill in the blank. Because the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. He lives in you. But so often we try to walk through this life and we try so hard to take care of it on our own. I have a growing honey to-do list in our house. <laughs> like I mark a couple things off and then like 10 more get added. It's just how it feels sometimes. And uh, one of the items that made this list a few weeks ago was our dryer, our washer and dryer. Washer was doing fine, but the dryer was just over a couple weeks, into a couple months, was just not doing as good of a job. I knew it got bad when my wife called me while I'm at work. She says, Brian, I've had enough. And I'm like, oh man, I knew this day was going to come. What, what is it? What did I do? She says, the dryer is totally not working. And I was like, oh, that's it? Oh, man, we're, whew, we're doing good. I was like, well, like, let's see how it goes. She's like, no, you don't understand. I've been waiting all day. The same load of laundry is still in the dryer. I can't do anything. And I'm like, well, like, I'll see what I can do. She's like, no, if you don't fix it, you're going to have to do all the laundry. I said, I'll be home in a minute. So I get home for the weekend, and I'm like, okay, so let's see if we can figure this out. I was like, I am not going to buy an entire new, new dryer. I'm sure I can figure this out. I am an intelligent young man with a lot of resources, with a big brain. I bet I can take care of this. So I start taking apart our dryer. Completely put, some of you said, oh, and you know where this is going. <laughs> totally take the dryer apart, thinking I would be able to like see what's wrong. Like Maybe it's just dirty, or there's something that physically looks broken. So I get the entire dryer taken apart, and I realize something. First of all, I still have no idea why it's not working. Second of all, I have no idea how to put this thing back together. <laughs> And I had that moment, which I'm sure many of you won't admit to it, but you've had this moment as well where you're like, you know what, I can't do this. And it wouldn't have mattered how much time I put into it. I could have stayed up for days working on that dryer and nothing would have changed. I could have had the best intentions possible to be this great husband that wanted to fix something for his wife. Like great intentions did not matter at this moment. It didn't matter what else I tried to do it wasn't going to get fixed if it was just based on me. So I did something that changed my life. I got YouTube. <laughs> and I opened up YouTube and I Googled fixing a dryer that I might have broke. <laughs> 
And no kidding, there was all these videos that showed you how to correctly take apart a dryer and how to put it back together, the things to look for. And so I'm saying, I got flashlights. I'm telling me, wait, wait, hit pause, hit pause, hit pause. Go back, go back. I don't remember seeing that screw. Um, <laughs> fast forward that part. And, and so I'm going back and forth, like following the instructions on this YouTube video. And I'm proud to say that not only did I get my dryer put back together, it actually works. Thank you very much. <laughs> At least as of today. It works. But it works not because of something I did. It wasn't, it's not working because I'm so smart. It works because of YouTube. <laughs> Thank God for YouTube. Can I just tell you, like, as my privilege to be, to be your pastor, and just what I see in our world and in our community, but many of the conversations I have with you, what I see in myself and in our own family we spend so much time trying to do it all on our own. I hear the phrase so often, I got this, I got it, I got it. I just need a little bit more time, I, I can take care of this. I just need to get that promotion and, and, then, and then I'll be able to take care of it. I just need a little bit more money and then I, I can get it. I got it. Look at me for a second. You don't have it. You can't do it. It's because he lives, I can. Not because of me, I can. Because he lives, we can fill in the blank. Because that same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. Because he lives, oh, your life will be changed. The moment you say, yes, I believe, your life is forever changed. But the most important aspect of life change that comes from the resurrection is that we cannot spend eternity with him without him. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. Because he lives, we have been given the gift and the hope of eternal life, but it's only found in him and in his name. Ephesians chapter 2 speaks of this Life change. Chapter 2, verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Scripture tells us the wages of sin is death and we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 4. Perhaps the two most beautiful words in all of Scripture. But God. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, look, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. So because he lives, he has given us life. But it's only by God's grace that you have been saved. Verse eight, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Please don't miss this. Verse 9. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. You do not get into heaven by doing good things. You say, Jesus, I believe and I need you. It has nothing to do with the things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece and he has created us anew. That is a new life. Because of the resurrection, we have been given a new life. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Some of you in this room and some of you watching online need to get to that place, kind of like James, his brother, that says, you know what, I don't totally get everything, but I do believe. In fact, Ephesians tells us that. 
God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you've got to get to that place. You say, Jesus, I can't on my own, but because of you and because you live, now I can. So you have to believe with all your heart. Believe what? Well, that God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sins, just as scripture said, and then that he rose from the dead three days later, just as scripture is told. Now, some of you do believe, and some of you are living that life of following Jesus. What does the resurrection mean for you and for me? Well, it's verse 10 out of Ephesians 2, that you are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew, that new life in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Here's what I would say to you, fellow believer. Get ready for Jesus to change your life, because he has a purpose for you. He has a mission for you to do the things he's called you to do. Your life will continue to change as you become more and more like Jesus. But he's also got a job for you. He's got a mission and a purpose for you that is new as you believe in him. Just like the disciples, he gave them a mission. He gave them a purpose. And he changed them from fear to courage. If you would at home and here in the room, if you would close your eyes, I want to give you a moment to respond. If you're somebody that needs to say yes to Jesus for the very first time, please don't wait another moment. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I can't, (laughs) but I need you, and I believe in you with all of my heart. Would you move into my life? If you already believe in Jesus and he's living in you, like scripture tells us, are you ready for the mission that he's put in front of you? The mission to love others as he's loved you, to forgive as he's forgiven you, to tell the whole world about the greatest news the world has ever heard. Will you allow him to change your life today and for the rest of all of eternity? Jesus, thank you so much for all that you have done, but what you are also still doing, that because you are alive, we have freedom. Because you are alive, we have hope. Because you are alive, we are given peace. Because you are alive, we are given life. In this life and for all of eternity. So thank you for changing our lives and continuing to change our lives. We invite you in to do with us whatever you see fit, to move us, send us, call us, and change us. And we know that because you are alive, we can make it through today. And because you live, we can make it through tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen.